welcome to a podcast of candy. I'm Sam, pronouns she, her. I'm Emil, pronouns he, they. And this is our super niche self-indulgent mini-series where we talk all things a crown of candy. Just in case you're listening to this podcast without any idea of what we're talking about, A Crown of Candy is a D&D campaign about what is essentially Candyland Game of Thrones. It's just one of the campaigns Dimension 20 runs as a D&D live play show, and you can watch the first episode of A Crown of Candy free on YouTube and then subscribe to drop out for the rest. Also, spoiler warning for everything A Crown of Candy and some other D20 stuff too, because we're going to go in-depth about everything in the show. So just to cover our bases a little, I guess the first thing we can talk about is what exactly is A Crown of Candy? A Crown of Candy is a D&D show about a royal family that gets thrown into an intense political drama with war and betrayal and magic and also everyone's made out of food. Yeah, it's really fun. It has a wonderful cast consisting of Brennan Lee Mulligan, who's the dungeon master. Uh, players are Ali Beersley, Brian Murphy, Emily Axford, Siobhan Thompson, Lou Wilson, and Zach Oyama. Yeah, and they're all amazing improv- improvisers and comedians. Um, yes, and they honestly, they do make the show. They are entirely, it is a D&D show, so they are basically the show, but they're also really good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about how we got into Crowded Candy slash Dimension 20 and what made it interesting enough, I guess, to start a whole, we really started a whole podcast about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I'll go first, sort of, because honestly, I got into Crown of Candy and the greater um, like series of Dimension 20 because of you, Sam, because I saw you <laughs> talking about it on Twitter like all the time. Yes. And then was, because you were talking about it on Twitter, everyone else I was following started talking about oh it on God, Twitter. And I was, like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, everyone's talking about this. Maybe I should start watching it. <laughs> yes, we did bait you with a theater AU, like, that was very much yeah, to bait you. That, that is... was very much an inside, like, job. Like, okay, for context, um, Sam once started a alternate universe in on Twitter about, like, what if A Crown of Candy was actually a play? And I'm a theater kid, so even though I had no context of who these people were, I just started adding lore to it because I know how to added such great lore to it. You were very good at the jokes and you haven't even watched A Crown of Candy at this point. Yeah. Yes, it was very fun. We are both theater kids, so yes, it's very unfortunate. It's very, very unfortunate that we're two theater kids starting Mm -hmm. a podcast. It's, yeah, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I got into a crown of candy well I got into dimension 21st so I impulse started fantasy high as sort of like a break in between uh, media I was watching and then I ended up getting absolutely just like could not stop thinking about it um so yeah I watched <laughs> fantasy high first and then I um when I got a dropout subscription then I watched a crown of candy yes got extremely into it it's been like six months since it ended and I'm still thinking about it so here we are we decided to start yeah. a podcast six months yeah. after the show ended. <laughs> I, I think with that discussion is the perfect segue into saying, like, we really are not professionals. <laughs> we just love talking about a crown of candy. So we kind of made this podcast to, like, just have a lot of fun. Yes. So, yeah, this is super, super self-indulgent. Um, yeah, I don't even have – I have no um, – degree in literary analysis or anything I'm literally a music student um and yeah we're literally just starting this podcast for shits and giggles and it's 
it's fun for a pod for like an audience of like maybe 10 people this is this is what we're doing this for <laughs> yeah we're just kind of playing it fast and loose and seeing as we go um i think it's also important to uh highlight that like we're just stating all of our opinions in these episodes and we're huge fans obviously and part of being a fan is analyzing the media way too much <laughs> yes all right let's get into sort of like the details of it so the Crown of Candy um, is different from normal D&D campaigns, or D&D live play shows, where it has like editing, um, and most of all, most importantly, there's art by Simeon Barrett and sets by Rick Perry that sort of accompany the show. Mm-hmm. I think it's very, um, what really makes the Crown of Candy stand out to me as like, I'm very new to like the um, D&D shows, um, what stood out to me was like those pre-made sets, because usually when you think of like a D and show, D and D show, for example, like uh, Critical Role or even like uh, the the Adventure Zone, it's very much like okay, if there's video, then they just have like a basic set, but then mm-hmm. if it's usually just a long podcast and there's not really much of a visual element. Yeah. So I think the sets help really give like something for you to bite into because those sets are so well made they're absolutely beautiful um yeah Yeah, and it's like so yeah dimension 20's sort of format is that it runs with like roleplay episode combat episode roleplay episode combat episode and the combat episodes all have pre-made sets um and they're all gorgeous (laughs) like rick perry is so talented um and they're all really cool and they really bring the world to life it's like because um, a crowd of candy is set in such a vivid, um, vivid world. It just makes so much sense to be able to see that in real life and just be like, yes, this is this place is made of food. This set is bright pink. This <laughs> set is like cheese yellow. It's so good. Yeah, and I I think even in like the role play episodes when they're they don't have sets, uh, I really love it when there's like a moment when um, Samira Barrett's art comes up because mm. he draws. Um, all the player characters, so all the PCs, and then all the important NPCs. So, um, I yeah, I, I just really love his art. I think it's so beautiful, it's so dynamic, and it helps, like, it helps with the suspension of disbelief when, like, these characters look so good, and those are the images you have in your mind. Yes, and, like, very importantly, they're, like, they're very much animated um, character art, so it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really clear line art, really bright colors. And I love that feel because it makes the kind of candy feel like an animated show. And that's the kind of tone that it sort of sets um, along with like mm-hmm. that, those first few scenes. It really sets the tone of the show as like, this feels like an animated cartoon kind of vibe, which is really wild considering like the actual genre, which is like that yeah. political intrigue, um, intense <laughs> stuff. So it's just like, yeah, it's such a fun, it's such a fun vibe. So yeah, like the first set... Um, that comes to me is Sukrosi Road, which is that really like bright pink um, game board um, yeah. kind of vibe. And that's like the first, that's like, I think Brennan's mentioned it as like the influence for a crowd of candy is like when you see those candy, candy land game boards, like there's candied royalty and there's candy surfs. So like, what does this mean for this food world, which I love. And it's just, it's just, it's super inventive and it's great. Yeah, I think, oh my god, the first combat episode is just such a really good episode. Because even the way that, like, the set was made, it fits perfectly into the, okay, so if you haven't seen Dimension 20, they have a kind of, like, base set, I guess. 
that's mm. just sur- it, it's their game table and it's just a bunch of decorations for you to kind of know what the world looks like a little. So in A Crown of Candy, it's like you have candy mountains and right in front of Brennan is actually like Castle Candy, which is where um, the royals live in. And so um, there's like a big empty space in the middle of the table and that's where they put all the sets in. And like when you go into episode two and they put in that set for Sakrusi Road. It just fits perfectly into it. Like somehow the like super bright yellows is like perfect with like kind of like bright pinks and like the purples of the border of the table. It's just, it really looks like it belongs and it's so candy. Like everything about it reads so easily as candy. Yes. Yes. It's yeah. It's amazing. Um, and it just sort of goes into that whole idea that, like, um, A Crown of Candy Dimension 20 in general is, like, it's pretty, like, the way it's produced and everything is pretty new for D&D Life Play. Like, D&D Life Play mm-hmm. is already, like, a, um, just, like, an emerging genre. Like, it's pretty new mm-hmm. in itself. But then A Crown of Candy just decided, like, honestly, just broke the mold about it and just sort of, like, <laughs> did all these new things. Um, yeah, and it's just really incredible to watch. Um, yes, because it medium as a D&D live play show is super important um and mm-hmm. then having that break like just stretch and experiment with it wow. is very very cool I think one of the main things we should focus on is probably like the setting and genre which we we've mentioned it very briefly but the setting is so absurd it's like okay it's medieval fantasy land which is a pretty worn out genre but then they're also food people. So um, who is introduced first? I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it a pan? It's... No, it's Theo. It's Theo. Okay, Theo that's is introduced perfect. first. <laughs> yes. And that works. Yes. And it's great because, yeah. yeah. So Theobald Gumba is like the first PC we're introduced to. And it's very mm-hmm. much um, immediately brings us to the fact that, oh, he's just a giant gummy bear. He's just a giant gummy bear in armor. Yeah, I, like, thinking about Theobald, who's played by Brian Murphy, it's very funny because, um, Murphy, Murphy, (laughs) Murph, Murph, um, plays him as a very kind of serious knight. He very much cares about his duty to the Rocks family, which is, like, the royal family who's played by most of the PCs, um, and then it's also just, like, he is a giant gummy bear in, like, golden armor. Yes. So it's just very funny to, like, hear Murph talk about, like, oh, we have to protect um, the rocks. We have to protect the princesses. We have to do this and that. And talk to, like, um, uh, his, like, fellow knights and talk to, like, the people he uh, who work under him and be very serious and still think in the back of your mind, this is a gummy bear. Yes, that's the fun thing about the medium where it's like, even though we get to see the art, the art's not always on screen. So it's like, most of the time, it is just like, Brennan describes it as like, um, it's all in your imagination. Um, Theatre of the mind, that's what he says. Um, because he's pretentious like that. <laughs> I say that with love. Um, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, it's very much like you are imagining everything happening because otherwise the mm-hmm. um, it's just filmed with like the six actors at um, at a table. And it's really, yeah, it's that really fun juxtaposition of all this like really intense stuff is happening. Um, 
but yeah, but it's literally food people. And because it's D&D, there's that sort of, um, you get that sort of distance from it because you don't actually see it happen. You have to imagine it happening. And then you think back and it's like, how, how is that actually physically possible? Like, this isn't possible yeah. because these people are literally food on legs. Um, <laughs> but it's so fun. And it's something only D&D live play can do, right? Like, there's, you're never really going to get that um, with any other medium, which is such a fun, yeah. it's such a fun idea. Like, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think something else that really makes a kind of candy stand out, especially from like now that I'm kind of backtracking and getting into other seasons, is that like you learn pretty much from episode one that all of the uh, player characters have a history because like I'll go around the table. There's um, Theobald Gumbar, who's played by Brian Murphy, who's the knights uh, the knight of the Rocks family the royal family and then the king anathar rocks is played by lou wilson and his daughters jet and ruby are played by uh siobhan and emily not in that order um <laughs> jet is played by emily and siobhan is played uh ruby is played by ruby is played by siobhan <laughs> yes ruby is played by siobhan and there's um the chancellor lapan cadbury who is a chocolate rabbit and he teaches um, Amathar's daughter. And there's Liam, who's, like, a kind of uh, ward of the castle, who's, like, very extended family to the rocks, but he's still in the castle. What's stereotypical in, like, introductory episodes for D&D shows and just normal campaigns is that, like, oh, you people have never met before. You people mm. are just learning to figure out how to be together, how to be friends, how to be yes. allies and, like, work next to each other. I think this kind of reversal of, like, oh, you have spent nearly your entire lives together for the most part. And, like, it's just really good because I feel like the entire cast has a very good grasp of how to make that come across yes. of how how to make sure that all those years that they spend together shows through like all of their actions and stuff right. and so i yeah i just love how every so often in one episode or another they'll mention about something that's happened in the past and everyone um or well most of the cast would know and maybe like uh, Jet, Ruby, and Liam don't because they're younger. I really, I just really enjoy how it's yes. just like there's a history, and I think that's part of the reason why people who love a crown of candy think about it for so long yeah, is because so there's much. so much there's that's so much implied, that right? You and just want to think about it. Yeah, and it's something that only really is possible because the cast have like know each other so well. Like you can tell they're really close friends because mm -hmm. like there's a reason why a crown of candy is like season five. Right. Because at this point, they've become really close friends. They know each other really well and they know how to play off each other. And so all these scenes flow super smoothly. And even though like it's all improv because these mm -hmm. players, these actors just know each other really well. And it comes across because like this is the first E20 season where it's like pretty much family. Right. Like it's a, it's blood family mm -hmm. and not found family. And I love found family yeah. so much. Um, <laughs> it's, it's such a good trope, but it's so good to have like, oh, like a little variation. Like, oh, this is blood family mm -hmm. this time. And the history they have with each other really comes through. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. So we've talked a little bit about Theo's introduction, um, which is great. And then his introduction is followed by Le Pen's where um, mm -hmm. Chocolate Rabbit played by Zakoyama. And yeah, I just love the contrast between their two 
their, um, their two yeah. introductions. Um, because you have Theo, who's very strict. And then it's through Theo that we meet Le Pan. So usually in Dimension 20 seasons, we get a lot of individual... Like, we get one-on-ones with each character as an introduction. Mm-hmm. But I love that A Crown of Candy is, like, so cinematic. That it just flows. It goes from Theo <laughs> and it goes straight into Theo... Um, like, we, the first time we hear about Le Pan is, like, when Theo mutters his name under his breath. He's just like, oh, Le Pan. And I love that. I love that we get, like, there's so much emotion in that word. <laughs> it's like, oh, we know how Theo feels about Le Pan. Um, oh, we know that it's sort of, he sort of has a role in looking after the girls when um, they're late. And it's just, like, it's such a good introduction. And then we actually get the full um, appearance when Theo goes to find him. And it's just so fun. Their dynamic is so fun. They're bigger and it's just, like, two old men arguing. And it's great. Um, I know. I, I really <laughs> love the way Zach plays Le Pan because it's just a different flavor of old man. But yes. I, the voice he puts on for Le Pan is so funny. And I love the kind of like awkwardness that never went away with age thing he has where like he stand he you can see it when he's playing but like he kind of stands <laughs> with like his shoulders like really like drawn back to like make himself look tough. Yeah. And then he's just like kind of like hovering over everybody and he's like Mm. Yes, I love the way that LePan is characterized yes. and the fact that he's like so indulged so like the way the introduction works out is that he's supposed to be teaching a lesson to Jed and Ruby and it's revealed that like where they are where they should be sitting in the lesson are actually scarecrows mm. like I love that he was so <laughs> indulged in his own lesson that he couldn't even like recognize yeah, that Jed it, and Ruby were not in the room it characterizes him like instantly like Dimension 20 does so well at all these little improvs that like establish a character super super early and super super well um and we get like that really the way Zach plays in with like the voice and the mannerisms it already establishes such an important part of his character um, which is it's it's so fun um and yeah and then I love especially that we get sort of the introduction to the girls without the girls themselves like Jed and Ruby yeah. like the whole beginning part of like Theo and LePan's introductions really also revolve around Jed and Ruby, even though we haven't met them yet. And I think it's so good, so good again at like characterizing um, the princesses, <laughs> even though we haven't seen them on screen. It's just such a good technique that usually, you know, we find a lot in um, in books and stuff like that. But it's mm-hmm. like it's great that we've also like moved that into like the D and D roleplay that A Crown of Candy does as well. It's just very very fun. Um, yes, and again, it's one of those things that can only really be done when. Um, when these characters know each other, oh, sorry, when these actors know each other yeah. so well to be able to like pull that off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then we get to Jen and Ruby's introduction where um, it's so cute. They they start with like that um, initial stealth check or the rolling of the dice as like the first part, um, as the, f- the first role in sort of this, um, this campaign and also as characters. And it's super, super cute. And they're rogues and they're da- running through, um, running through the town of Dulcington. And I think, it's just so well characterized again. Like Cute. Emily and Siobhan immediately launch into like their <laughs> characters and they have so much fun playing like twins um, because they are really close friends and seeing that yeah. dynamic, like it's just really cute because both like the actors know each other really well and all the, also the sisters know each other super, super well. So mm-hmm. yeah. And it's such a, it's such a fun, it's such an animated show opening. Like when I think about this, I think <laughs> about like, this could be the opening to like literally any like cheesy animated show. Um, and I love it. I, I love it so much. It's so cinematic. <laughs> Especially um, the way, like, Brennan describes, like, actually shifting to Jed and Ruby, where, like, Lupin and Theobald look out the window. Yes! And, like, <laughs> you can 
see Jen and Ruby running away from the castle towards Dolsington. Like, I could literally see, like, someone animating that, like, pan shot yes. from, like, their faces to the windows and then zoom into, like, their little figures. So Yes, amazing. exactly. It feels pre-written. Like, that's what makes, like... Yeah. it's so good even though it is all improv like it's smooth enough that it feels pre-written and i love it so much um and also like through jet and ruby's introduction we get the first hint of like the plot of a crown of candy because mm-hmm. jet goes to pick up some mail and we get that really fun yeah. gag about thad and the avocado but then also we get that hint of a convoy is going to commodite from candia in the next few um in the next few days and it's like oh this is the first hint of plot um and it's very fun Ooh. like Again, Brennan is really good at introducing these little threads of information, really, like, at a pace that the readers can, not readers, audience, um, (laughs) can sort of take in and, yeah, in a way that develops really organically, which I love. Yeah. I think I think the next person who gets introduced is Amathar, and oh my god, I love oh Amathar's god. introduction. <laughs> um, so Amathar is played by Lee Wilson, and you you see him like he's I forgot where he's in like a wing of the castle, and he's sitting down in front of statues of his older sisters who either died in the war or like died of other causes, and he's talking to them as if they were there, and that's like when you get like. Uh, the really like specific like world building of the past because mm. you know these characters have known each other um, implicitly because obviously if Lapan is this girl's teachers he's teached to them for multiple years but then you see like Amathar talking about the past and talking about like oh I don't I don't know if I can do this and I don't know I just I love that image of like Amathar like wanting to be a good king Mm. and then like not knowing how and reaching out to like the only tangible evidence (sighs) that his sisters were ever there like i oh my Mm. god i just love amathar and i love the rock sisters yeah it's such a it's such there's so much history and loss imbuing amathar's character and his introduction already and i love it like yeah, like, Lou talks about how, like, how funny that whiplash was going from um, the girls who were, like, cheery and happy and up to shenanigans while Theo and Le Pen try to, like, rein them in immediately straight to Amathar's introduction where, like, he's talking to his dead sisters. Um, and it's so tragic and encapsul- encapsulates, like, a crown of candy's very tone, like, just in that, like, just in that scene change. Um, and also just characterizes Amathar so well as someone, as a character who knows grief and loss intimately, and that is a such an essential part of his character. I think it also shows like how much like he really does care about the past, because like a, from then on, a lot of like the references he makes about the past are very like choky things. Like for example, that running gag of like, oh, I, I saw you piss and shit in the trenches in the war <laughs> or whatever. But, like, Amathar is this, like, kind of character who doesn't like who he is in the present, so he clings on to who he was in the past. Yes. You can tell by, like, (laughs) he doesn't want to take up the king responsibilities, but, like, he also doesn't want to be a bad king, and it's, oh, my God, I really love Amathar's character. Okay, so I know we said we wouldn't mention Calroy in this episode, but I do think we need to talk about his introduction. We're, we're like we tried so hard not to. <laughs> look there were so many points we could have mentioned him but we're, we yeah okay i do think we need to talk about him um because yeah so calroy is introduced in this episode um and it's like 
It's, he's like a really interesting character for spoilery reasons, but also because he acts as our tutorial character for this part of the show. Um, where it's like all this lore is also dropped through the NPCs that Brennan is acting at, acting as. And I think having a character who is like the advisor for the king, dropping like all the political <clears throat> information that we really need is a really, it's actually, it's like a cliche, but a really effective way of dropping world building and yeah. stuff and exposition. Especially because Amthar is not a good king, despite what Calroy yeah. says. Like, let's be real. <laughs> He's not a great king Very and he real. doesn't know what's going on. And so Calroy is there to, like, give him the information, but also the audience the information, which works really well. Yeah, I definitely think they pull it off really well in that, like, um, Amathar, depending on Calroy, has, like, specific reasons besides, like, oh, we need a tutorial character. It's, like it's the nature of their relationship because yes. like they have that shared history yes and because amathor has always yeah just he cannot read for one um and just mm -hmm. doesn't yeah doesn't hasn't really stepped up to his responsibilities as king so we do get that um that good again like the history of it all seeping through everything amathor does Yes, and the character introduced after amathor is liam which is our final um character of the party and yeah, so I really love Liam's introduction because again, it's alluded to beforehand by um, by the girls who are just like, maybe if um, Liam gets all the heat for it, we won't get in trouble. Um, and so we get immediately get the idea of Liam is like, is like close to the girls or close-ish in age. Um, and that he's also just sort of like um, a ward or like a child under the care of the castle. And yeah, so Liam's, again, that hint of plot where we meet... Um, these two people and also I love that it foreshadows like other like so many other plot elements like when he runs into the teacup <laughs> and and it's like oh he shatters this teacup and it becomes an important element later like again Brendan is just <laughs> such a good DM like he's such a good DM he's so good at like definitely sneaking in all these little details really slowly and in a way that makes sense in the overall arc of it I don't I, I don't know if it happens in his introduction it might happen a little after but obviously they all do really good jobs of characterizing their pcs but like i always think when i think of liam i think about like that scene in episode one <clears throat> where he's talking to Karen melinda and ali the player goes can i roll to see if she hates me and that's like the start of a running gag yeah oh we do get um with liam's introduction as well we get like that um Introduction to like the broader family outside of this little castle, like um, mm -hmm. Joran Jawbreaker, like Liam's dad, and like um, all the different sort of little political things that might be running about why Liam is there in the first place, and um, the sort of already tense politics just in that first episode alone, even though we don't really go into it um, yet, is really really fun and just sort of like again the scale of this world is so good. It just it's so <laughs> big and it establishes that really really well. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, let's briefly talk about Karen Linda, who I love so, so dearly. <laughs> Beautiful. I love her. Go yeah. queen. Yes. Okay, for one, the first thing I'm going to say is Brennan is really scarily good at mum vibes. Like, at acting as the mum. <laughs> the strict, angry... Like, I genuinely, genuinely got scared listening to him act as Karen <laughs> Linda because I was like, oh god, I'm getting, like, I'm getting flashbacks <laughs> to when I've done something and my mum has chewed me out for it. Um, yes. So, Caroline is great. We'll go on about her in, like, our later episodes, but... She just, she is already, like, the power and sort of, like, presence that she holds is immediately established through that first thing. Like, just, again, through other characters 
um, thoughts about her already. Again, history is so, so clear in all of these characters' introductions. Um, and we do get that sort of um, that um, establishing of like she is a powerful and kind of scary figure for the girls, especially because they've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we get so much lore through her in the same way that Calroy is the NPC that, NPC that gives us um, lots of political lore. Um, Brennan is so good at like he says I remember one line as exposition where he just sort of like rattles off all the um, all the royalty and all the kings and queens of all the different countries in just like one line like just straight up and it's just it's so smooth and it like already establishes gives us like so much lore in just that one sentence um, in a way that's just really clever because again Amathar doesn't know shit and Caramelinda has to explain everything to him and yes. <laughs> And just Caramelinda and Anatha's relationship is already, like, it's it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And I love that yeah. it's established. I think you I, I think you pretty much summarized, like, all of my thoughts on, like, Caramelinda in that first episode. I really mm. just do love her. And mm. I, I really like that um, you can kind of already tell, like, within, like, the first um, interaction she has with Anathar and with her kids that, like, she's the one in charge which is really interesting because like usually queens are not and they don't step up until the king dies so i i I don't know i really love that immediate characterization of care melinda takes no shit yes absolutely and like yeah you can immediately tell who's in charge in this castle and also Mm -hmm. like the kind of stress that she's under because of that like she Mm -hmm. is not her introduction is not like happy right like she comes in stressed out and oh my god the te- the awkward tension between her and Amatha like when Amatha's like oh maybe we should let them off for their birthday and Camilla's like are we going to discuss this right now in front of the girls or in private and it's just oof <laughs> one line is already enough to be like mm, this is not a nice marriage like these people they have issues <laughs> and yeah it's such a good way it already like like their relationship is kind of messed up and strained and I love I just it's such a complex relationship and I do love it. I love that conversation they have like in the bedroom where um Amethar's like still trying to get out of his duty as king and Caramelinda's like, Are you kidding me? Like I've had to rule this have to rule this kingdom for like twenty years alone and you're not going to do like the one thing I ask you to do right now. And yeah, it's it's really good and really complex and I just love Caramelinda so much. Truly. Yeah. <laughs> Did we miss anything? Is there any other character introduction? Lamone? I don't really care about Lamone. <laughs> <laughs> Lamone. <laughs> I love Yeah, Lamone. no, I think we've got everyone. I mean, honestly, unless I'm going to start talking about the Tart Guard, which I wanted yes. to talk about the Tart Guard the t- with Theobald, the but I was like, I've been talking about him for too much. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Tart Guard is very, oh my god, again, like, the comedy of it. Like, it's more yeah. like... Like, like, that's what made it seem so animated show. Like, all the gags with the tart guard of them, like, throwing a sword through the wall and then the sword coming back through another window. Um, it's, like, it's so it's so classic, like, the like same kind of goofs that would be found in, like, an animated show, which is, like, again, just sets the genre really well and it's just so funny. And then, like, yeah, when you get to, like, that sort of second episode where it's, like, oh, the tart guard is kind of shit, but, like, if they don't succeed, everyone is going to die, like... <laughs> it's very yeah it's very fun and very real r.i.p the tart garden <laughs> they were good while it lasted Definitely. yeah so yeah again like that sort of like the the whiplash of it the comedy whiplash um yeah it's very very fun 
But yeah, I think that's it. Oh, Lamone exists. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I wish I cared more about Lamone, but I truly don't. Oh, um, he yeah. exists and he is there. He's the guy character and that's yes. it. Let's yeah. talk about <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about how Brennan decided to make the gag stupid servant his name be Lime in Spanish. Let's talk about how Lamone is Latina coded. Let's talk about <laughs> Oh god. Oh god. Like just, this is so Lamone is just I'm so sorry. I do not care about him in the slightest. No, I no, wish I cared I as much Ali does. seems to care because since they ask about him like every time we're talking about out of canon characters, but I don't. He does just kind of exist. Um yes. Anyway, if you want to go off about Latino Lamone, I think we should. I think he has the opportunity to be developed. I think we do have the opportunity to go unhinged about him, like we did with so many other side characters. But like, no one has yet, so I do not care. I'll create my thesis on Twitter and like on Wednesday, Wednesday noon my time. I'll create a limon thesis. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Who knows? By the time this podcast is out, maybe Lamone is going to be a beloved character and we've just <laughs> slandered him. They're going to be like, where's the Lamone content? <laughs> going off of like, oh, it's season five. I, I think it definitely comes through because like the stakes are so high because of the nature of it being Games of Thrones in- inspired. It's like every combat episode is life or death in one way or another especially yes. in the first half of the season when they're yes. a lot lower leveled god at that point and it's it, like every role play episode is life or death yeah it's like if you say one wrong move you might just turn yourself like get yourself into combat yeah like i think what really shows the juxtaposition between genre is like the end of episode one like episode one is so kind of like cruise through it where you get all the character introductions and they're really along the same kind of vibe that Dimension 20 is really good at doing. And then at the end Mm -hmm. of episode one, you get thrown into it. Ruby immediately takes damage and dies, like loses all her health. That is the um, whiplash that Brennan just throws at you. Like, oh yes, this is what the actual story is about. This is Game of Thrones after all. And you can see like both the cast uh, and the audience just like struggling to like fit the two together and just sort of keep up with that sort of pace. But I think that's what's so effective and shocking about that twist. Uh, I definitely think, especially in like the first half of the season, where like the characters are still a little under level, the combat is so tense in a way that doesn't necessarily feel tense all the time in other campaigns. Because I feel like, especially in other campaigns where there is a lot of magic, it's like, okay, a player dies, but then someone has, like, resurrection magic. In, in A Crown of Candy, there's very little spells. It's mostly, like, melee and stuff. Yes. And it's just, like, every single time you get into combat, like, probably, like, the first nine episodes, you could very well lose a player character. And yes. it's so like, oh my god, every time you open up that combat episode, you're just like, oh my god, is someone gonna die? Is someone gonna yeah, die? Yeah, it's like part of the deadly genre and also the fact that I love that Brennan made magic, like, illegal, I guess. <laughs> I guess illegal is the word for it. Um, where it's like, suddenly um, magic and healing isn't isn't an essential part of the game anymore. It's all a risk. 
And so mm-hmm. the combat episodes in A Crown of Candy feel so much more tense than in any other season uh, where, like, honestly, I tend to zone out in some of the combat episodes because there's so many numbers being thrown around. It's like, OK, I can only I can only really focus for so long. But in A Crown of Candy, it's like I'm sitting there and I'm on the edge of my seat because there are so many things that could go wrong and will have consequences later on because of how political the season is. And making magic mm-hmm. like that sort of like taboo art as part of that is so good the suspense when every time lapan does a spell he has to like roll the dice for deception like it's so good so good i love it it's it makes it so intense and that's why i'm also glad that they're food people because <laughs> brennan has this amazing habit of like detailing these very intense situations of like oh you just um pissed off like uh, a really like powerful um leader in one of the other nations or you've done this or that and then he goes and also this person or like okay so spoilers obviously but like (laughs) (laughs) just like i think he's acting as Elizabeth, and she's having like an argument with amathar and then he gets out of character for a moment and goes and remember this broccoli pope and if he didn't (laughs) do it with Elizabeth, he's done it with other like characters but it's just like you get so tense in the moment and then Brennan always knows like the perfect moment to bring in a joke it's just like it's like if you burnt something and like the smoke starts filling up your kitchen and you just open the window and get some like fresh air I think Brennan's very good at like juggling tense moments with comedy yeah so like um, arguably it's tonal whiplash, but it's tonal whiplash that I really love because it works mm-hmm. really well, right? Um, and it's something that won't work in like forms of media that aren't D&D live play because you don't have these actors like in front of you, just sort of like laughing at the silly moments and then being thrust back into like, oh my God, so much is happening. Um, yes, and it's such a lovely, I love it. The juxtaposition is so fun. And it's part of why I really love this show in particular in comparison to other really gritty um, political intrigue, medieval fantasy mm-hmm. st- stories, because like they have fun with it. Like this show is a yeah. love letter to the genre. It's a love letter <laughs> to like medieval fantasy, to Game of Thrones, to all these political intrigue and high fantasy worlds. But it also like it's a parody, and it like parodies some of it. But then it's also just so clearly <laughs> filled with love and fun, and all these actors and like just genuinely, you can tell that they love doing this. Um, and even yeah. though it's just so absurd, it's like absurd and like. In a loving way. Like, you can you can tell. Yeah. Um, like, the satire is in good fun. And, um, <laughs> yes, it's just really... Because, like, it's like, yes, her name is Elizabeth, And it's ridiculous. And they're making fun of the way fantasy names are created. But also, yeah. Elizabeth is so much... Like, she's such a genuinely so compelling character and villain. That it's like... <laughs> yeah, that it's like... I, like, you're still invested in it. And that's what makes A Crown of Candies, like, so good. Like, it's so biz- yeah. bizarre and absurd. But... We still love it to death, like right? Like we still cry. <laughs> we still just ball our eyes out at all the sad episodes. Oh, it's so good. Um, yeah, and just the whole genre is so fun. Yeah, it is a mix of like that political intrigue and comedy, family drama. That's like, how do they how do they successfully pull off all three genres? I don't know, but they did it. <laughs> Their range. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I I think also like speaking on Elizabeth Brassica, Elizabeth Brassica is the pontifex pontifex of the bulb (laughs) like these are just such insane like strings of words she's from the nation vegetania and like it's probably it probably starts out in the first episode but in episode three they travel to the capital city comeda and that's when you learn of 
all the other nations in a little bit of more detail. And I think just all that world building and like, oh, there's Basha of the Meatlands and there's this um, leader and this leader. It's another thing to like drive your mind crazy because you're like, oh my God, we're seeing everything that's going wrong in Candia, of course. But what's happening with the Meatlands? What's happening in... um, Pangranos, the bread nation, or well, yeah. not yet, the gray <laughs> the nation. nation. My, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the world building in a crowded candy is like, it really is what also makes it amazing. And Brennan is so good at like sneaking in all the little world building without, without you even realizing it. Um, like that's what makes it so good is like the exposition is done really naturally and it doesn't feel like, okay, it is a bit overwhelming in episode three, but then yeah. like characters are there to like coax you through it because, um, mm-hmm. Oh, that's what I was going to say earlier. Um, the experience levels of the different characters are, like, so clear. Um, that, like, mm-hmm. obviously you have the kids who are new to this world and thus we're learning about the world through them. And then you have all the adult characters where it's like, oh, they've been they've been here. They know what's happening. Um, yeah. And, like, I love that they start... Um, they start at different levels because it really it really puts a really neat mechanic spin to the like oh this is mm-hmm. mechanically how their experience and history in this world is shown um, in combat um, in abilities and stuff with all these characters being like introduced to all these things at different times and some of them will know it and some of them won't and it's just really fun to mm-hmm. see it all like happen yeah I think Brennan is such a wonderful storyteller and a part of it is is that he's a really good actor and I think my favorite thing about a crown of candy is how many accents Brennan can pull off. Like every single nation has its own sort of accent and it's yes. amazing. It's so funny. It's like what? I think Fructera is French. Um, Meatlands yes. are Russian. Dairy Islands are Scottish, Irish. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's one of the two. Something in that region. All white people are the same to me. <laughs> Should I have said that on this very public podcast? <laughs> we'll cut it out in post. We'll cut it, it out in post. This is future Sam here to say, as she's editing this podcast episode, that she's not going to be cutting this out in post because it's funny as hell. Anyway, back to the episode. Um, Vegetarian. is Italian. Oh, yes. Um, Cerisia is Italian. Um, and I think the vegetarians are English, but I don't, I don't yeah. actually, I don't remember. <laughs> Yeah, possibly. <laughs> just, we, we only see a very, very little vegetarian. And yes, I, I yes. called Cerisia Pangranos earlier, but Pangranos is the capital city of Cerisia. Yeah, we just... <laughs> I mean, there's just too many facts in their mind. They know so much about the world building. Really. It's all it's categorized all in my brain and all the folders are scrambled. I'm yeah. like picking it all up. <laughs> yes. So I love Brennan's accents because they really delineate like the country each character is from and also just like unique character voices really make to like add to the experience it really makes it feel like a big world because not everyone in this world is going to have american accents and Mm -hmm. yes i do love that it's so good it's so fun and yeah it just adds the absurdity of it as well because like they are saying this intense okay this is mean but like they are saying all these intense things but like you have a scottish accent yeah (laughs) it adds to the absurdity a little bit and i love that yeah I think um, 
speaking about the nations, since we're kind of there, I think another thing that I really love about A Crown of Candy is that there are these, like, tensions between nations, but because, like, these things are, like, based on food and stuff, there's nothing that feels, like, fantasy race-based, which I think mm. is one of the biggest flaws of, like, high fantasy that, like, especially in D&D that has a bunch of race-based mechanics, yes. is that there's always this, like, weird, unsettling feeling of, like, there are, quote, unquote, good races and bad races. Yeah, like, let's And players, clear, of course, yeah. can always spin on that. Yeah, d and is I, I racist. Like, yeah, very racist. It is. It has, yeah, it has really racist origins, a lot of the um, fantasy races in it, and it continues to. Like, they still, they do still need to work on it. Like, that's, that's mm-hmm. the bare minimum here. <laughs> They are racist, but yeah, I think A Crown of Candy does good in like the politics of it all is that none of them, they're all human variants for one, um, Mm -hmm. race wise and mechanic wise. Yeah, it, it it feels a lot better to like step into this world and it's like, oh, okay, there's politics, but at least nothing feels like a microaggression (laughs) for for lack of any other better word. Yes. And also, yeah, let's be like clear, like neither, neither of us are white. No, this is yeah. right. This is a, this is a podcast of color. APOC yeah. stands for a podcast of color. Um, <laughs> so yes, um, yes, we will be touching on like little things like that as well, which we really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yes, and yeah, I don't think it's unrealistic or anything um, to not have like yeah. So it's like there's prejudices in the society, but there's not like no one's outright homophobic or um, misogynist. Or racist, and I do think that is important when um, you know Brennan as a straight white guy is running this mm-hmm. campaign, and I think it's good that he like didn't make that like intense parts of the setting. And plus, and like yeah. people are gonna say that's unrealistic, but there's so many other anachronisms in the show made for comedy, like the fact they like just sing modern songs and um, <laughs> in show, and um, you know like obviously they don't speak in the medieval tongue or like thou and thee and everything um yeah there's so many anachronisms they make for comedy um that it's just like why should why should this stuff like have to exist when these other things don't obviously like that they do take it seriously as much as they can allow Mm. um and i i feel like the entire cast does a really good job of like okay i can stay in this world but then i also know like what is like too much realism and stuff like misogyny and um Oh my god, misogyny and homophobia. I forgot the word. Um, <laughs> those are things that go too far in the name of being realistic. So I really appreciate that, like, they can find, like, a kind of steady balance. Yes. Yes. It's really great. Mm-hmm. And Brendan was, like, talking about how difficult it is sometimes to, like, keep that balance of how much of it, this can be jokes, and how much of this has to matter. Like, Liam doing magic as a little joke in a party, is that going to have serious consequences because technically magic isn't allowed? But I think he finds a really mm-hmm. good balance between that two. Um, and yeah, I have a Baz Luhrmann quote here because I'm pretentious. And it's, um, and I think it really sums up the genre of this play, of this play, of this show really well, where it's, We have not shied away from clashing low comedy with high tragedy, which is the style of the play, for it is the low comedy that allows you to embrace the very high emotions of the tragedy. And I think, yeah, Crown of Candy does that super well, where we have, like, really stupid comedy sometimes. There's a whole bit in the show about, like, shitting and pissing. But compared, like, when you have those really, like, high moments, then it, like, becomes so much more impactful when the bad shit actually happens. When suddenly we're, like bawling our eyes out because of characters and I think that balance is just they're really really good
at keeping that. Yeah, I think the world building is super amazing. And I think one of the things that really helps there be so much world building without it feeling overwhelming is that people already have preconceptions about food. Yes. Like, the most obvious one is that because Sarisha is a nation of grains, it's mostly pasta, and they're all they all have an Italian accent. <laughs> like one of one of one of the characters from Sarisha is Alfredi, who's like um, ah, a primogen. There you go. That's the title. Mm-hmm. She's a primogen, and she she has an Italian accent. She has pasta hair. She has pasta yes. hair. It's amazing. So I think part of like the way they can really like stay in character is just that like they already have the kind of ideas of food in their minds already. Yes, and it's all like based. Like I think Brennan was talking about how he came up with how each um, nation was sort of like was like you know conceived and it's like Fructera is like merchants because when he looks at a fruit he thinks like they're very like <laughs> thinks they're hardworking like traders it's that kind of vibe of like yeah mm-hmm. like all of these come from some kind of preconception of food so it makes it less overwhelming when like we get all these um ideas thrown at us but also it makes it so interesting to think about like um even though they are food Brennan's made them parallel real life really well where it's sort of like yeah even though um even though there are things that are technically vegetables, they can be culturally, culturally fruit <laughs> as well, which is like, yeah. So the ravening wool started entirely because of like a petty fight where a tomato was like both, was air for both the vegetarian and the fructarian thrones. Is a tomato a fruit or a vegetable being a thing um, like, and having huge real life consequences in this fantasy world is just so cool and also very true to history where it's like tiny squabbles between nobility can start whole wars because of like their position. Um, and it's very, very fun. You actually remember the reasoning for the Ravening War? I feel like we should <laughs> look, definitely detail. Look, you know who I am. I, I know, I know. But I feel like we should definitely highlight the fact that like Amathar Rox was the last in line for the throne. He had four other sisters oh, yes. who were older than him. And like they all died, they all died either because of the war. And that Ravening War started because of a tomato. It's yes, a it's, lot. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it is so fun and yeah we'll talk more about the rock sisters in like other episodes but like mm-hmm. truly the history and the lore of this world is like incredible to think about and i don't think a crown of candy was like um was long enough to explore every single like thing um, about the history there and it's like well that's why we're here i've decided i've made yeah. my purpose in life now to do that for <laughs> you brennan i will now <laughs> be the one to explore everything um, it has turned so into public domain this is like the great yeah. cats be all over again <laughs> kind of candy is our canon now <laughs> yeah i think it, it is really sad that, like, there was production issues, especially, like, a part of it is that the season was cut short, unfortunately, mm. for production issues. But A Crown of Candy tries so hard to do a lot of new different things from, yes. like, uh, later in the season, there's, like, a, like a player versus player, like, um, struggle. Oh, my God. Yeah, that, that conflict. Which, like, it's yeah, a party conflict. conflict. Oh, so good. And not not everything that they try to experiment on is like 100% perfect. Mm. They're like, for example, I didn't actually like the inner party conflict that ended up occurring, <laughs> but I just like the fact that they tried. And I think yes. the history is one of the things that like 
we get a lot of it, but we don't get very much enough to have your fill. Like, for example, there are a lot of gaps in, like, what we know. Like, we don't know a lot about the Meatland, and mm. we don't know a lot about Fruitera, even, or Vegetania. We only know about the church that's yeah. within Vegetania. It's such a huge and scope so, and scale that we don't get to see a lot of all the time. Yeah. It, it's definitely a little sad that you don't really get to, like, dig into the world so much, but you just i love it anyways because yeah. they tried they gave you the ingredients this and now is, i will bake the cake yeah this is all to say like a crowd candy isn't perfect i don't think it's even the best dimension 20 show like i think <laughs> i think the best like my personal opinion is the best dimension 20 campaign is the unsleeping city like i do think that season is like mm-hmm. so like almost perfect right um but a crowd mm-hmm. candy like yeah tried to do so many things um and it didn't always succeed, but they tried anyway. And that's what I really appreciate about it. Like, it made the effort mm-hmm. to be new and to be different and to try all these, like, different ideas that are never usually done in a and d campaign. Um, and, and some of it worked. And, like, it just, it's so good. And I love it for that. Mm-hmm. We can appreciate the gumption. <laughs> yes, exactly. This, like, yeah. So, like, I love the Unsleeping City so much, but I am making a podcast for A Crown of Candy and A Crown of Candy only. And it's because of just what they attempted yeah. during this show. It's so good. I I think, honestly, A Crown of Candy is better for its flaws. Like, I can't remember the exact quote or something, but in general, fans really love things that do have flaws because it mm. gives them something to think about. Yes. The, there is no perfect media or perfect series, mm-hmm. but if there was, I don't think it would be very popular because <laughs> if all <laughs> if all the loose ends were tied, then what can you do once the series is over? Yes. So I think a crown of candy overall is better because of its flaws because it gives you something to think about once the series is over yeah it's good and i think you know i think that's a good spot to end our very first episode of this podcast (laughs) (laughs) so yeah thank you for listening to the first episode of a podcast of candy where can we find you emil you can find me on twitter at spideydevil616 or you can find me at Tumblr on Gardens of Eve. Where can we find you, Sam? Yeah, so I'm Kindlestuck on Twitter and Kindlespark on Tumblr. And yeah, I have some animatics on YouTube that you can also check out at the same name, Kindlespark. Again, you can find the first episode of A Crown of Candy on YouTube and the rest of it on Dropout TV with a subscription. This is a mini-series, so episodes will be released weekly at... It's midnight on Monday, so 11.59pm on Monday um, in Australian times because I'm tired of converting for Americans. Um, But honestly, that'll be Monday morning for most people. You can find us at A Podcast of Candy on Twitter or Tumblr to stay updated. You can also ask us questions to answer on our podcast through our Curious Cat on Twitter or our Tumblr inbox. Yeah, we want to hear about your opinions. What do you think about these characters? How did you react to the plot twist? Tweet and post about us using the hashtag ACOCPOD, <laughs> and that's A-C-O-C-P-O-D. Um, yeah, just sort of like a crown of candy abbreviated, podcast abbreviated. Um, yeah, ACOCPOD so we can find it and read it. Yeah, because we're super interested in seeing what you guys think. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.